righty, we are good to go. So uh, nice to be with everybody again for uh, part two of Thriving Through Uncertainty. And yesterday we spent some time talking about uh, curiosity and the importance that curiosity plays in our ability to, to gain peripheral vision and get out of tunnel vision, right? As we're going through change, part, part, of, part of the reason why we have change, we'll talk more about this, I think, tomorrow, is, is because it gives us the opportunity to learn. And change is really a learning experience. And there's two ways you can look at change. Change either happens to you or with you. And that's a choice you make. If it happens to you, you're a victim. If it happens with you, you're a beneficiary. We're gonna spend a lot of time on that, uh, I believe, tomorrow. So today is gonna to be about understanding you and understanding how uh, we're all wired, because we're all wired basically the same way. I always like to refer to it as, we're wired at the factory. We all come out of the factory the same way. Different factories, but still we come wired the same way. So before we do that, let's just do a, a quick summary of yesterday. So from yesterday, we were talking about finding abundance and curiosity. So when we're curious and open-minded, we have endless opportunities because what we're doing is we're opening up our vision to attract whatever opportunities come our way. Now, if we are closed-minded, so think about it in terms of tunnel vision, we're just focused on one thing, regardless of whether at one point in time, maybe we thought that one thing was, was the best thing to have. Uh, but if we're only focused on that, then we're missing all the other two opportunities as, as they come around. And uh, I always like this quote from Einstein, so I have no special talents, I'm just passionately curious. And that was one of his great gifts. He was just curious, how do we figure things out? So open mind, we wanna be open. Doesn't mean that we're not focused on where we wanna go. It just means that we're open to other opportunities along the way. Think about it like we talked about yesterday as a river of possibility, a river of potentiality. Closed mind, you got to have very few opportunities and very few options, if any, other than the one that you've been focused on. And here's the problem. When we focus on one thing and one thing only, and it doesn't work out, we become disappointed. And there's kind of no reason for that, because along the way, there could have been many other options that were better than the one that we originally conceived. Now, one metaphor that I think is really beneficial for all of us, especially as adult drivers, is that when we turn our headlights on and we leave the driveway, or we leave work, wherever we're leaving from, we can go as far as we want at night at only 100 feet at a time, because that's basically the distance that our headlights give us. 100 feet at a time, if we wanted to, we could drive all the way across country, right? So uh, that's what change is like. Everything, if you think about it in terms of 100 feet at a time, because as we're going through turns and hills and mountains at 100 feet at a time and driving at night, we navigate those things, those, those turns, those obstacles effortlessly. We think nothing of it. It's, all, it's completely subconscious, really. So that's a lot of what the change process is about. It becomes if you can condition yourself in such a way where that you understand you're, going 100, you're only going 100 feet at a time and that you're going to have to make adjustments and all that. And that's where all the opportunity lies. Opportunity lies in what you don't know, not in what you do know. There's no opportunity in what you do know. All opportunity creates and it lives and gets created in that blank space in between where you're leaving and where you're going. So let's talk a little bit about strengths and weaknesses. And everyone's familiar with the uh, yin yang. 
and it's about balance. So uh, if you ever studied, uh, uh, you know, martial arts or uh, energy healing or any of these types of, of uh, modalities, it's everything's about balance. And so the yin yang, right, other than the symbol of just black and white, is really about strengths and weaknesses. So if you look at the traditional kind of uh, uh, comparison between the yin and yang, you have structure and function, you have night and day, cold, hot, earth, sky, moon, sun, slow, fast, humidity, dryness, uh, increasing energy, decreasing energy, uh, fluid or energy, or basically fluids and solids, calm and expressive, death and birth. And so in all of us and in every situation we're in, everything is about balance. So for every one of us, our strengths are also our weaknesses. Now you have to just walk with me for a little bit on that. Our strengths are also our weaknesses. So for instance, I can tell you that I'm creative. That's a strength. What's a corresponding weakness? Lack of detail. So I have to be very focused on detail. That's one of the reasons why I have such gifted people that I work with is that frankly, they're better at the detail than I am. Uh, so all of us have that, okay? We all have strengths and weaknesses. What I would encourage you to do is think about those, think about those for yourself, about what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses. Now, we look at them in terms of, we call them terms of strength and weaknesses, but they're both of equal value. So you can't look at a weakness and say, uh, that's bad. Okay, it just means that it's a core, it's a corresponding balance to something else. Now, you could also say that I have a weakness of this, okay, but the corresponding weakness of that is also strength. But you need both, you need both strength and weakness to have balance. So, think about it as a scale you have to have both, you have to have light and dark, you have to have good and bad, you have to have balance. And, and so it's important as we're going through change and learning about ourselves and understanding about how we work, that we understand that everything is about balance and, we, and our strengths and our weaknesses are there for a reason. So let's talk about the mind. We're, we're gonna spend some time today about science and, and how we're all wired. And I, I, I read this years ago and I forgot where I found it, but it, um, so I really can't, can't attribute it to me. But fear has been described as the mismanagement of the mind. And remember yesterday we were talking about our synaptic connections. Now, synaptic connections apply to really everything we do. So if we have a fear of something, whatever it is, if I have a fear of um, oh, hornets, okay? Well, somehow that is a wired fear. I, I have somehow had enough fear or thought about it enough that my synaptic connections, okay, have been created. And so how do I get rid of that fear? So you, you, you get rid of it, right? We were talking about getting rid of a habit. So it takes three to four weeks to get, to get rid of a habit. And that's how you, that's how you manage fear. You, you figure out how to basically dissolve that synaptic connection because all it is is a known, all, all fear is really is kind of a known thought, right? I've conjured up this thing, whatever this thing is, and most of the things really aren't real, 
Now, if you jump off the building, yeah, gravity is going to take in the effect and you're going to splat, no, no doubt about it. But most of our fears really are, are not that great. And, and here's how you know this. And how many times have we all said this? You have a little bit of intrepidation about something, you do it, and at the other end of it, you say, huh, that wasn't so bad. So, so fear really is the mismanagement of the mind. It's the mismanagement of the equipment that we've got. We don't have to have most of our fears, except the ones that are really directly related to survival. And so the more we understand our programming, the easier it is for us to understand how to make adjustments or how to change our wiring. So the uh, initial process of that is called metacognition. The metacognition is the process of thinking about what you're thinking about. So it's about being aware of what you're thinking about. Now it's not, this isn't about, you know, overanalyzing, why am I having this thought? But it's about the awareness around it, okay? And, and not just thinking and acting, okay? Or just having a thought and doing. It's about really understanding, well, what, what is behind that? And asking those questions about yourself. Well, what in, my, what in my past is making me feel this way? Or what other experiences have I had that are kind of leading me to kind of mismanage my mind, which is really what fear is. And the reason why people don't like change is simply because if they look at it and say, well, here's my status quo. Now, anything outside of my status quo could be damaging. What, what you're not saying is that anything in, out of my status quo could equally be advantageous to me. And so metacognition is that process where you start to think about what you're thinking about and you start to be aware of your thoughts, not just thoughts and doing, but it's being aware of your thoughts. Remember we talked yesterday that the average person has somewhere between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day, 80% of which are the same as the day before. So it doesn't mean they have to analyze 60,000 thoughts. It's just the action thoughts right? And the things that are mostly impacting you now. So the metacognition, being aware of your thinking. It's one of the things meditation helps you with. Calms the mind a little bit, calms the brain down, and then that gives you the opportunity to be uh, to basically run yourself through a self-diagnostic program. So um, I think it's fair in a rational way to say uh, we shouldn't be afraid of what we don't know because we don't know what it is. The fact that we don't know what it is in itself shouldn't create a fear. It could just as easily be something great. So I have this picture here and uh, just take a second, I'll pause for a minute, just take a second and write down what do you think is behind that door? Okay, so what's behind the door? Somebody chat me in a, somebody chat me in a question or, or just unmute yourself and tell me what you find behind the door. Allie, what'd you write? Bam, that's behind the door. In kitchen. Okay, here that's we go. Uh, this is gonna get fun. Um, a wine room, monastery, storage, darkness, the unknown. Tuscan kitchen, love it. That's what I said. People smiles, laughs, birthday <laughs> cake, a courtyard. Great. A place with children. Okay, perfect. Okay. All right, good. So. I'll tell, you what I, I'll tell you what I immediately came up with. Having been to Italy a few times, I came up with a wine cellar. So for me, it's like, well, 
I mean, what a great room to walk into and just find all sorts of, uh, you know, beautifully just vintage uh, Italian red wine. Now, equally though, you could say what's behind that door. You can equally say, uh, you know, a scary place, a haunted, a haunted Italian villa or something like that. It's all a matter, it's all a matter of how we look at it. It could be equally good or bad. So um, the fear of the unknown is paralyzing for really for a lot of people. And, there's, and that's not a right or wrong thing. It just, that it just is. And like we talked about in this first paragraph on the slide, right? If we don't know what it is, why would we be afraid of it? Because all the opportunity, remember, all opportunity lives in the unknown. Opportunity does not live in the defined. There is no opportunity in the defined. It all lives in the blank space. So fear of the unknown is uh, paralyzing for most of us. Why is that? It's the lizard brain. So we all have, I'm sure you've all heard this, we all have a little bit of lizard in us. And it's the lizard brain, it's called the amygdala. And it is the first part of our brain that is formed when we're in the womb. Uh, it's uh, the first part of the brain that we, we've inherited over millions of years from our, our uh, scaly friends here from the, from the uh, reptile family. And it's also in charge of basic functions, fight or flight, anger, fear, survival. And it's what we used in more primitive times in our evolution, but also then also it's homo sapiens. It was what we used to uh, activate danger. When we felt that we were in danger, uh, this, uh, our lizard brain, the amygdala, and I'll show you a, a, a cross section of brain in just a second. But that's what we used to take over uh, in flight or flight situations. So pick, pick a time, 20,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago, when we were out walking in the woods or walking through the savanna looking for a meal, well, there was an equal chance that you could be a meal. And so when the saber-toothed tiger came around, we didn't turn around. Like when we heard something in the woods, we didn't turn around to see what it was. We just took off because something in our environment changed. We could sense it. We we're walking along and all of a sudden we heard a twig snap or birds fly away or whatever, or wind, you know, our, our, our senses were, were much stronger than we smell. That was a change in our environment that immediately triggered fight or flight, the reptile brain, the lizard brain, and off we go. Now, here's the thing about that. We are not designed to live in fight or flight. Fight or flight conditions only supposed to be for a very short period of time, minutes. Well, if you take a period of time like what we're in right now, okay, with the, uh, with, with the whole uh, stay-at-home orders and all that, there's a little bit of anxiety. You watch the news, that'll certainly get your anxiety up. And now we have people that are living a lot in fight or flight because uh, it's, uh, the environment's changed. People are wearing masks. You have to stay home. You can't go to work. All these different things. You watch the news. And all these different things raise everyone's level of fight or flight, and, you're, and we're not really designed to live there for very long, so it creates a lot of stress on the system. And so anytime that 
uh, all of a sudden you feel yourself uh, getting frustrated or getting angry or maybe jealous uh, or fearful, that's your, that's your fight or flight kicking in. Now, what happens is that this is our contemporary homo sapien brain. And at the very top, it's a little bit faded here, but you can see the neocortex. That's our more modern brain, uh, the gray part, right? And then your frontal cortex, the part that's shaded in green, those are your executive functions, uh, uh, you know, time management, uh, organization, things like that. If you look in the center cross section, the, the amygdala, right? That is the, uh, that, that's the lizard brain we're talking about. That, that's, the, that's the part of the brain that takes control during fight or flight scenarios where we feel threatened. Now, in today's world, we don't have saber-toothed tigers roaming around in the backyard, but we do have other threats. So even though we don't have those uh, direct existential threats floating around, our brain will interpret the things around us. So it could be anything. It could be driving in traffic. It could be uh, uh, meeting with somebody who, who maybe you're really not that fond of or, or some circumstance that, that, that basically makes you uncomfortable. That, that trips your fight or flight. And it really could be anything. It could be, could be your in-laws. It could be your son-in-law. It could be anybody, right? Um, and that automatically trips the fight or flight uh, response in your system. So even though it's not a saber-toothed tiger or a brown bear or you know, somebody chasing you with a club like it might've been you know, 30,000 years ago, this function still exists. It just exists in the environment that we find ourselves in, okay? And, and so what happens is that uh, in a fight or flight scenario, the, the lizard brain, the amygdala, overpowers the rest of the brain. Right, the, the neocortex and the prefrontal cortex, it overpowers it. And it just takes charge because it takes charge for survival. Because when the house is burning down, you're not gonna sit and have a family meeting to decide which, which exit you're gonna use. Are we gonna use the front door or the back door? You're just gonna use any exit. And that's how fight or flight kicks in. Uh, and so it's important to understand that when you feel, when you're feeling some anxiety, let's say, or something in the environment changes. It 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 could be uh, it could be a, it could be pick any number of things, especially right now that that environmentally are changing. And all of a sudden, when your environment changes, you feel you feel at some level threatened just because it's changed. And that goes all the way back thousands of years ago when we were walking around in the savanna and something in our environment changed and it got our attention because that typically would typically would suggest that there could be danger. And that's why we react the way we do today to change. Because really, in our environment, there's really very little in our environment. I'm in Bedford, New Hampshire today. I'm looking outside the window at, at Hannaford's. Uh, there's nothing dangerous around me right now. So there's no really no reason for that to kick in. Okay? But if I sense, but if there was a ton of change around me all of a sudden, well, maybe I might. And that, so that's how that works and that's so just be aware of that when you when you start to feel a certain way that when that emotion kicks in okay it is it is the fight or flight take, taking over to preserve you but it's very antiquated 
It's like an old piece of software. We really don't need it the way it's not, it's not designed to function in today's world the way it was designed and properly functioned thousands of years ago. So another way to look at this is through your comfort zone, stretch zone, and your panic zone. And this was a slide that we had with our with the sales directors for some training we did with them. And part of getting through a, a, pro, a process where there's a lot of change is being able to say, I don't have the answers. I also don't need the answers because if I'm paying attention, the answers will come to me as we go, remember, 100 feet at a time. And so there's a definite, uh, there's a definite process you go through and you can sense it yourself between comfort zone, stretch zone, and panic zone. And if you kind of take this and you visualize it, uh, you, and you, and you know, you, you be able to print, you'll be able to print this slide off. We'll send it out tonight, but keep this around you so that you can, you can start to identify when I'm in my comfort zone, when I'm in my stretch zone and when I'm in my panic zone. And one of the things about, about this process is that uh, for when we were talking with the sales directors about it, for instance, especially in times like this, helping people get outside of their comfort zone means you got to get outside of your comfort zone. And that would be true for all of us, whether it's dealing with family or dealing with work or dealing with clients or dealing with kids, it doesn't matter what it is. For us to be able to provide the right direction and leadership in whatever our circumstance, it's not good enough for us to help some push somebody else out of their comfort zone, we have to go there too. And, and it creates a lot of humility. Being able to say, I don't know, is that level of honesty is what will start the process of the answers coming to you. And you know, one of the things that I think, I, and I, I wrote this down because I think it's the environment we find ourselves in, you know, that, that I've never managed through a pandemic before, but you know what? We're going to figure it out together and we'll find all the answers along the way. And there's no right or wrong to it because we've never done it before. So who cares? And by being able to have that self-talk, uh, that it takes you off the hook because you know what? In most cases, there really isn't a right, right or wrong way to do things. You, 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 you adjust to the circumstances you have, you do the very best you can, and then don't worry about the rest of it. When you're done with the event, you circle back around, you figure out, okay, well, I could have done that better. Maybe we could have made this adjustment here. And that's all about working through change. And what you're doing by, by that process of constantly circling back around and doing some self-analysis, your, your stretch zone becomes your new comfort zone, okay? Uh, your panic zone becomes your new stretch zone. And that's how you build the muscle memory around change. So this is a really good uh, this is a really good slide to keep around. It's a really good image because you can you can self-diagnose where where am I? Am I am I in my comfort zone? Now obviously comfort zone, uh, you know, sitting on the couch, you know, watching a movie. Okay, that's a comfort zone. Uh, going out and uh, you know working on a project that you've worked on before, that's another type of comfort zone. Working on a project that you've never worked on before regardless of what it might be, that's a stretch zone, right? When your project goes, goes off the rails, well, that could be your panic zone. However, once you've had that panic zone experience, okay, 
then uh, once you've had that experience once, then you are now familiar with what that is. Now your panic zone then might just become your stretch zone. So keep this slide, it's worth keeping around. So this is something that, that I've developed and I use uh, over the years and I, I, I find it helpful. And I'm, because I'm a, I'm a creative, I'm a visual. So we'll pause just for a second, let's just talk about that. So going back to the yin yang for a minute, all right? Everything balances. The way the body has been built and the way our minds are built, we balance, we balance out. So the left brain and the right brain, okay, yin yang. The left brain does, if you think about it in terms like this, the left brain is the analytical part, the right brain is the creative part. So if you wanna break it down further than that so it's easier to remember, the left brain does words, and the right brain does pictures. Simple way to remember it. So for me, I'm more right brain oriented. So for me, I like pictures. So um, managing your emotions through change. So we, we have emotions uh, and they're not to be ignored. You know, ignoring your emotions is like no different than being on a bad diet. You have to uh, have the experiences. The reason why you have the emotions is that they're there to give you directions. And I developed this for myself years ago, this process where I mentally always look at myself as having a construction level on my chest. Now, if I'm even bubble, like, like this picture is, I know that my emotions and my temperament, I know that I'm even. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not feeling the emotion. It just means that I haven't become the emotion. And that's super critical to understand. This isn't about taking emotion and ignoring them or about taking emotion and stuffing them down, okay? Very unhealthy. It leads to all sorts of health issues. This is about acknowledging them, but not necessarily becoming them. Because when we become the emotion in the moment, right, what happens to us? Well, we become down or we become too up. Again, yin-yang. So, you know, if I'm too, uh, if I become the emotion of exhilaration, I can feel exhilarated, but if I become it and I act it out, okay, what am I liable to do? Well, I might be liable to agree to something in that high that maybe when I was more even, I might not have. Same thing. I might, when I'm down, I might see an opportunity and because I'm down, I might just completely dismiss it out of hand. So if you can take a look at your, just kind of close your eyes for a minute and visualize the construction level on your chest. And if the level is out of balance, right? If it's too high or if it's too low, right? What that's signifying is that your emotions are telling you something. Now, if you're even, then you, you want to spend as much time as you can uh, in, your, in, in, your, in your even space. Even though you might be getting bad news, you can get bad news and still be at even, uh, at even bubble, okay? Just means you haven't become the news. So um, I'll give you a good example, actually. For some reason, I had to reprogram my garage door openers this past weekend. I don't know why, I don't know what happened, but I had to. And uh, there was just me at the house. And of course, you, know, you have to go up to the garage door, you have to go up to the garage door opener motor and you push the button, you gotta run back into the car. And I, and I was getting annoyed. I stopped for a minute. I was kind of laughing. I was like, oh, okay, right. Take your own advice because you're, 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 uh, you're, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're at a level. 
And, and once I once I kind of reminded myself of that, then I was like, okay, fine, we'll just go back and, and just we'll, we can finish this out. So they can be big things or little things. The key to those, you don't want to become the emotion, feel the emotion, learn from the emotion, but you don't want to become it. And that's where you see people make mistakes. That's where you see bad behavior, things like that. Another way to look at it is that we have emotions for a reason. They're not uh, stray uh, functions, okay? They're not, they're not there to unsettle you. They're there for a purpose. And uh, you can manage your emotions through uh, the level process that we just had on, on the previous slide, but you can also understand them as like the dashboard of your car. Because that's really what they are. Your emotions are really your, uh, they're, they're really your dashboard. They're your instrument, instrument readout. So for instance, your dashboard is not the car. Your dashboard in your car, it's telling you about the car. It's telling you about the status of the car. I need gas, I need oil, uh, I, need, I need air in my tires, uh, my battery charge, all these types of things. It's giving you feedback, okay? on the car. Your emotions are giving you feedback on you because this, and we'll spend some time on this um, like Thursday, is, you know, this is your equipment and your emotions are giving you the feedback on your equipment. So for instance, if you're having an experience and it's making you frustrated, let's say, like me with my garage door open, uh, you know, you have to ask yourself, well, okay, I'm getting this feedback. Okay, this is no different than your car telling you, hey, you need gas or you need oil. You're getting a feedback on, I, I, don't, I don't like doing projects, so I'm not Mr. Handy. I just don't like it. So, uh, so for me, right, it was like, yeah, right, I know, I don't, like, I don't like doing these types of things. I wish somebody else could do this, but wasn't anybody there, so I had to do it. It could be something more severe than that, too. It could be emotional, where it could be in a relationship, or uh, it could be... Um, some threat you feel. And those are all, all feedback loops that your emotions give you. And so when you're having an emotional issue, something that, and it could be large or small, doesn't matter. When you're having those types of uh, feelings, okay, again, don't become the feeling, recognize the feeling, acknowledge the feeling, absorb the feeling, okay? Don't become it. And understand that that feeling is no different than the dashboard on your car. It's, it's asking you, it's asking you to pay attention to how are you feeling right now, okay? It's not telling you to be annoyed or be angry. It's, it's telling you, it's asking you to take a minute and understand why you're being annoyed or why you're being, or why you're angry or why you're fear, fearful. And that goes back to a few slides ago when we are talking about metacognition, okay? That, that metacognition is the process of thinking about what you're thinking about. And that metacognition is also part of understanding your emotional dashboard. Just don't have the emotion. Un take a minute, understand why. Now, in the moment, you might not understand why. It might take you a few days, but you've at least started the process. And, and at some point down the road, whenever it is, you're gonna have the aha moment. Like, oh, right, that's why that happened. If you, if you don't start the process, that all you're doing is you're just tripping through a series of events that constantly upend you emotionally without any end to them because you're not understanding why they're happening in the first place. I like the metaphor 
of the dashboard because I think we can all, at least a couple times a day, we all get in our car. And, and so we can understand it. That's something we're familiar with. And I think the construction level visually is really good because it can help you as you're walking through your day. It's, it's a really easy visual to have. So I just want to share those with you and hope, I hope they're helpful. So uh, in practice, um, let's just take a couple minutes. I'll read the, uh, I want to read the chats real quick, but just take a couple minutes um, and uh, just write down when was the last time you were stretched uh, to your panic zone and how would you have handled it differently? The important part isn't that you were in the panic zone. You, you were in the panic zone to have an experience so that you could learn from it. It's all about learning. So what would you have done differently last time you had a, a panic zone experience? Just take a couple minutes. Uh, really great, uh, great comments in here. Yeah, excellent stuff. Take a breath. That's really, that's really good advice. Fear is a defense mechanism. That's really appropriate for this because it is a defense mechanism. And someone also asked the question about um, freezing. What happens if uh, you're in a situation and you just freeze? Well, that's a defense, defense mechanism as well. We've all, it's happened to all of us. You freeze there uh, because it's really a form of, of uh, procrastination, if you want to look at it that way, kind of simply put, right? And if I don't move, it's a status quo. If I'm frozen, a uh, YouTube video, basically, it kind of walks you through it. So, but it, really nothing special about it. It's really about calming, really about calming your mind. Let me just go through the rest of these. Uh, somebody mentioned the daily calm on YouTube. That's a, uh, Christine. That was, that's good. Yeah, I've, I've done that. That's excellent. Somebody mentioned prayer. So here's a fascinating thing. And it doesn't really matter what religion, it's, it's really non-denominational, is prayer and meditation very similar. Uh, and, and in a lot of meditation, uh, you do prayer. Like I do prayer and meditation, whether it's for circumstances or people or, or maybe my own health or somebody else's. Then really when I, my body, and I'm physically like frozen in place, like I, I can't move. I, or I can't uh, deal with the situation, it, it ends up being um, a status quo position. So you're maintaining your status quo because, because, if I, because, because I'm afraid. And I don't know, if I move forward or I move backwards, something may happen. But if I stand right here, I at least know what's going to happen to me if I stand right here. And, and that's what that is. We've all, we've all had that. Uh, somebody was talking about meditation. Yeah, meditation is uh, is really important. If you haven't done this, um, if, if you haven't done this, you, you can take some formal meditation. There's uh, transcendental med meditation classes. Uh, if you do yoga, uh, they do a lot of uh, meditation and yoga. So there's lots of different ways to learn meditation. There's no real, uh, there's no real secret to it. It's basically about training your mind. It's kind of funny. I have a friend of mine and uh, he was asking me about meditating. And, um, you know, when I told him I meditated, I, I must not look like a meditator because he looked at me and said, really you? And um, it's like a lifelong friend of mine. And I, you know, I was explaining to him, I said, well, he said, well, I just can't sit for 10 minutes. And I said, well, of course you can. He said, don't forget. 
there's no Olympic gold medal for meditation. Whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes, an hour, or a day, it doesn't really matter. What you're doing is finding time to calm your mind. And what, one thing you can do, if you're interested, even if you've never done it before, is go to YouTube and look for, uh, you can just uh, search for uh, beginner meditations and they'll give you a guided meditation. And it might be through guided words or it might just be through uh, uh, music or frequency. Uh, we can talk maybe a little bit about this later uh, when we have more time, but basically it's like a frequency um, health. And so prayer and meditation are very, very similar, almost identical. And if when you have a, an experience where you're going to a place of worship and when people are in prayer, it feels great, doesn't it? It's calming. The energy is calm. And everybody, if you think about when you're in church, I grew up Catholic. Uh, when you're in church and everybody's praying, if you think about it in terms like this, the entire congregation is synchronized. Just for maybe for a few minutes but they're synchronized. And it's a really very special experience, uh, if you can remember it. Yeah, really great stuff in here. You guys have got some good ideas. I don't, I don't want to read all of them, but they're very, very good. Yeah, excellent. So uh, that's what we've got for today. Uh, thanks for participating. This is great. Uh, and again, I don't know how many people we have on the call, but uh, uh, I think we'll try to open it up tomorrow so that we can you know, um, you know, talk more and uh, we can maybe exchange more ideas. So uh, tomorrow we're gonna start getting into uh, some more really kind of cool stuff. We're going deeper and deeper every day. So tomorrow uh, we'll be going deep into perspectives, how to manage your perspective about being either a victim or a beneficiary. And uh, then we're gonna go into observer, how to become a better observer on Thursday. And then Friday is gonna be all about action. So thanks for being with me. It's fun to be with all of you and have a great day.